About that time, there arose a new disturbance about the world. A soldier's woman named Demetrius, who made several friends and organs, brought in a lot of business to the that very day. He called them together, along with the workers on the daily trades, and said, You know, my friends, that you receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul convinced and led us for a large number of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that God made the human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will be made, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of the divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companion from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and he shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make the defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to come down and not do anything wrong. You have brought these men here, Though they have neither robbed temples nor blessed them by God. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, you are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, you would not be able to come for this promotion since there's no reason for it. After the service, he dismissed us. Amen. So glad to be here with you today. Again, my name is Nancy, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we will continue in our uh, sermon series throughout the book of Acts. Uh, and today, as you just heard, we come to a disturbance about the way. The way is uh, the believers of the Lord that are growing through the preaching of Paul's gospel, through the preaching of the gospel, and also through other Christians that are going around and sharing the message of the love of God. And so we want to turn our attention today to how God is continuing to uh, allow his word to prevail and to persevere even in the face of opposition, in the face of those who want to quiet the mouths of those who are making great claims about the Lord 
their gods. And so would you pray with me as we begin here? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this high and holy day. God, if it wasn't for you uh, making a place for us, we wouldn't have a place to live, nor a place to lay our heads, nor a place to call home, because our home is in you. Our home is where our heart is. And Father, you have our hearts. And so I pray that even in this message today, based on this text, that you will come, Father, and rip our hearts once again by your holy word. And that you will speak mightily to the hearts of your people, uh, even through a broken stick, if, if you will. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Make sure I have the time. I don't want to be up there long. Um, but I do want to have an opportunity to share with you from this text. You know, about how God is active in the life of his people here in Ephesus. You know, I was speaking with someone not too long ago. My friend who was on his third marriage. We sat across the table from one another discussing the possibility of him pursuing his third wife and not walking away. So having come to this crossroads before, he had already decided in his heart, my peace, my security, my self-love outweighs the pursuit of my third wife. And so I was trying to proclaim to him that God is patient with all of us. He is indeed slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And how he alone deserves the allegiance of our hearts. He spoke up and with all honesty disclosed that he wasn't sure about God. Even though when he recounted his life in the past couple of years, he could recognize how God indeed had made clear paths for him to turn away, repent, and turn to God, who is his true love. He received his dream job. He still saw his kids from his second marriage. He had been taking care of himself physically, mentally, socially. He had friends. He was earning a decent income. He had more than enough. The patience and the kindness of God was so evident in his life. God was paving the way again and again and again for him to repent and embrace the love of God as in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you know, self-love that is not based on true love leads to idol love and less of a need for the proclamation of the love of God in all of life. Luke gives us a picture here for the reason why we as believers must proclaim God's love to our world. He states that there is no little disturbance concerning the way. Meaning they are receiving some pushback for how they are going around sharing the gospel with people, urging them to turn to the one true God. The way are believers who have been baptized. They're, they are being filled with the Spirit. They're the ones who are coming in the name of Jesus, confessing Him, trusting and repenting in Him. You know, Paul shows up to Ephesus probably about two to three years prior. And he found some disciples who were baptized in uh, the, the, um, the prophet John, John the Baptist. And so he laid his hands on them and he 
baptized him. For three months, he proclaimed, even in the synagogues, that Jesus is the Lord. And which, of course, they tried to kill him. But day and night, you know, he turned to a different place, the Hall of Tyrannus, and he began to teach people two years straight about the Lord, teaching them about the truth that God loves them and he has called them as, their, as his people to themselves. But we, we learn that even earlier in Acts, in Acts 19, many of those who are not believers, they came confessing and giving up their practices. And the number of those who have practiced magic arts, they brought their magic books, if you will, together. And they had a burning party in the sight of all, casting out all things that entangled them in order to embrace fully the love of Jesus. They counted count the value of those things. came out to be about 50,000 pieces of silver. Even to, in today's currency, that's a lot of money. Millions of dollars. About six millions of dollars. So the word of the Lord continued to increase, as the scripture says, and prevail mightily. And we see this even from Demetrius' own lips as he gives proclamation. In verse 26, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in also all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. They're not gods at all, which is true. The spirit of God was active in Paul and other believers, that as they went about proclaiming love of God in action and in truth, all the residents of Asia, modern-day Turkey, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Ephesus is this you know, epicenter of people. And so they were going around sharing the love of God, but even in the city represented people from all over the world. People begin to have spiritual eyes to see for themselves that the gods made with hands are not gods at all, but empty idols. As the love of God is proclaimed, we too will witness this from the text. We too will witness this in our lives. That God's love is greater than idols. His love is greater than our circumstances. God's love is greater than our enemies. God's love is greater than our idols. What type of idols are we talking about here? We're talking about the idols that are within, internal idols, and without, external idols. The internal idols had plagued the beast's heart, made in the image of God himself. He was a man. But he was holding on to those things that couldn't satisfy. Verse 24, he was a silversmith, and he made these silver shrines to Artemis, the god that was based in Ephesus. Brought no little business to the craftsmen, the text says. So he decided, all right, we're losing business. More people are burning their magic books. They're not buying the shrines anymore the replicas of the temple. So this is what I'll do. I will gather the men of similar trades 
and I've convinced them. And this is what he says, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. We have our greatness. We have our greed. And you see in here that Paul is leading people astray, away from us. This is almost like a screw tape letter to C.S. Lewis moment, you know? Those on the other side of planet, our demise as believers, as people of God. And so Demetrius has his wealth, but internally his God really is his own greed. How much he can acquire to fill his own heart. And as we know about greed, whether it be monetarily or food or other type of possessions or relationships, they greed, it will never fill our hearts. It is indeed idolatry. It is indeed trying to take the place, the rightful place of God. And it will never do so. Because in the heart, as many have said over time, there's a huge hole that can't be filled by none other than God. Really, we need a new life that only God can give so that we can be endowed with the Spirit of God and live for Him alone. And so we see Demetrius' heart because we see our own hearts, right? We want things. We like things. But sometimes those smaller, minute things become the ultimate things. And that's when they become idols. The very images that are created. Things that we give our lives, lives over to. And so he sees a problem. Paul is turning away many people, and he's losing out on opportunity. But really, what Paul is doing, he's carrying out the love of God. He's carrying out this great mission that Jesus has given him. And this is what he's doing. It's, and Jeremiah talked about how God's people have committed two sins. They have forsaken him the stream of living water, and they have dug for themselves Systems, broken systems that cannot hold water, these huge watering tanks. So God, through the Apostle Paul, is undoing this among the nations. The things that they are turning away from God and to are not satisfied. They come to the end of themselves. And so God is turning them back to the spring of living water, to the spring of love. And he's giving them eternal life, which overflows. We see this throughout the Bible as well. We see this in the, at the end of the book of Judges. It says the people of God who were entrusted with the ordinances of God, these people began to do what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in the land. And that's what they desperately wanted, an icon, an image. They wanted a president who could do their bidding. They wanted a man like the other nations. God said, I'm your God. I'm your great love. And so they were willing to forsake even him. So these internal heart matters, the eternal idols of the soul, can be captured in this way through one of the curtains. Eternal idols consist in the acts of the soul and actions answerable to them. When the mind is most taken up with an object and the heart and affections most set upon it, this is soul worship. 
And this is due only to God. He made the chief good and the chief end of all creatures, all intellectual creatures. It is his due, proper to him alone, to be both minded and most loved. It is the honor due only to the Lord to have the first highest place, both in our minds, in our hearts, and our endeavors. So we see that's a challenge to our, to our worship whenever we hold on to worthless idols that can do us no good. But those are not the only idols that we have to be aware of, right? That are dangerous to us. Those are, there are external idols as well. And this is how the ministers decide to round up people. He said, look, see, there's danger here. Danger not only in this trade of ours, that it will come to nothing, disrepute, but also this great temple of our great goddess, Artemis. May we count it as nothing in which she is. And that she may be disposed, emptied of her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. So he has a threefold danger here. That his fortune will be gone. That there will be disgrace to his livelihood and which he made great riches off of. Also that the temple can be counted as nothing, which is great irony. You know, this great temple that all the world came to see it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Indeed, was the biggest temple throughout Greek, the Greek culture. Massive. Bigger than like a football field. The pillars of it stood about 60 feet high. Something to be looked upon that was huge and magnificent. And also that Artemis herself, who was the fertility god, the god who would bring about great fortune for them, the god who would protect them so they thought that she, whom all of Asia and the world worship, that she will be worth less than what she is. So externally, these acts of idol worship, this is how it happens. We bow down to those things that are made instead of God. We show gestures to those things that are made and to God. We, we know about this great love for idols through love songs. There are some magnificent love songs out there telling about those that they want to be with, those that will make them feel alive, those that will complete them. These are some of the external things in people. And there's the external things also in the world, because we were warned, even through 1 John, do not love the world or the things in the world, believers. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. Because the world and its ways are passing away along with his desires. <laughs> but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here's the choice. Go towards the external gods of the day, and you come up with nothing at the end of your days and into eternity. But we do have a Father who, bidding his people, receive my love, return to my love, 
See the one whom I love that I've given for you, and you will have eternal pleasures forevermore. And this is the reason God spoke to his people in Exodus after he brought them out of the land of Egypt, where there were indeed idols. They worshiped Ra, the sun god, and other things as well. God put to death those things. He showed that he is indeed the creator and maker and ruler of all things to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart, but God indeed brought his people to him in the wilderness. And this is what he said. He spoke all these words to them through Moses. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You said, I have no other gods before me. There's no rivals to me. I've made all. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm jealous, very jealous. I will punish the children for the sin of the fathers, the third and fourth generation who hate me. But to those who receive my love, I want to show my love to thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's more pleasant. You know, uh, my son, as you see, does not like to sit idle. <laughs> when I'm at home, uh, upstairs, you know, he makes every excuse to sneak away from homeschool to see me. You know, there's this tight knock on the door. As soon as I say come in, he's listening carefully. He's upon me very quickly. He has a longing to be with me, with his father, and to spend time with me. He's not with me most of the day, so it's almost like a novelty that he gets a chance to sneak away and spend time with me. You know, we are indeed drawn to the people that we love, aren't we? Those who have shown us some type of attention and delight. It's part of our heart. We should be drawn to one another. The same, the same can be said of places and things that make us feel like we have a sense of being alive. Our hearts were made for connection and relationship, even in the most broken situations. But we notice that Adam and Eve, they turned away from God. They gave their hearts to something else after they were duped by the evil one. They sought to make an idol from that point on of anything. Internal, external idols become items to worship instead of the God that loves them. Paul picks up on them. This, he picks up on this and he says in Romans even that we worship and serve created things at times rather than the creator. That people will always turn to those created things and give them a sense of importance. A sense of being alive. A sense of being somebody. But Paul is making it clear that those things only lead to death. We change the truth of God for a lie when that happens. And we drink upon ourselves the wrath of God. And so God is saying, find your way back home. Like the prophet son. As many times as possible. Each time I'm there with open arms for you to come to me. I will receive you. I will put a ring on your finger. I will put a robe on you. We will have a celebration. Come to me. Confess your sins to me. 
unfaithful and just, I will forgive you and cleanse you. I will slaughter the fatted calf and we will have a party together. Idols are dead. God is living. Idols are false. God is true. Idols are many. God is one. Idols are visible and tangible. God is visible and intangible. Idols are creatures, the work of human hands. God is the creator of the universe and all of mankind. He's the great lover of our souls over against the idols in our lives. Moving on quickly here, we see that God's love is greater than our circumstances. Circumstances challenge God's love. We see this in Demetrius' speech even. Like, after the people heard it, heard his speech, the craftsmen and the others around them, they were enraged. And they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And as we see in verse 34, they were enraged and cried out for two hours. It probably felt like one minute to them. Because they were band together, crying out the same thing. Like, can you imagine these model people crying out, this, this walking down the streets of Ephesus, Headed to the theater in this crowd. It's like a rally. People are like, what's going on? Folks are confused. Even those people with them were confused. They began to grab people angrily. They grabbed two of Paul's companions, Gaius, Aristarchus. They grabbed them. They were enraged. They wanted blood. They wanted to blame. They wanted to do something about the loss of their idol, the loss of their prophet. And so they begin to seek to destroy, seek to tear down those that they thought were worthy of taking the blame for this, running madly down the street. We can imagine, right? We go to places where we're allowed, but in those places, everybody knows what's going on. Maybe unless you're at a rock concert, you know, things are turned over and things get a little crazy. I don't know. But uh, we get it. Things are loud. You know, these circumstances challenge God's love. But these circumstances cannot undo God's love. Because there was one in that day in the crowd, he wanted to show the love of God even to the mob. Verse 30. But when Paul, but Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. You see the love of God that's ruling the heart of all? Moving into those areas that are hostile. Moving into those areas because you have this message of hope and you want to share this love with people who are dying on the inside and dying on the outside as well. These circumstances cannot undo what God has done. Even though some of Paul's friends were persuading him not to go, no matter what, Paul wanted to go into some of those places. And some of you are like that as well. You see the need and you say, I'll go, Lord. Because God, you see the love of God towards you as you live your life attempting to honor him, as you live your life in prayer before him. You, sometimes God calls us into places where it is frightening and scary. And we go trembling, but we go bold, boldness by the Spirit. Because we understand that at the end of the day,
though it may seem like these are undoing the love of God, it's not undoing the love of God. Love that brings peace, which surpasses all understanding. That love is able, that peace is able to draw our hearts and our minds in Christ. And so we get a glimpse of Paul's love, even through the sermon that he preached in Acts 17. There he was, pleading with the man of Athens. You know, he's telling them all about these idols and how they are to turn to God. He said, for as I pass along, I observed that the objects of your worship, in the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Lord, therefore, you worship, as I know, this I can proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything from every nation of mankind that lives on the planet Earth, they get their beginning from God's love. Nothing would stop Paul from going into these places because he recognized how much God had loved him. No circumstances could undo him. Nothing can separate him from the love of God. And nothing can separate you from the love of God and the same Christ Jesus our Lord. These circumstances of life that we see all around, they break our hearts. Things happening in our city. Things happening around our country. Walls that have been built up around our country to shut people out while we stay in and navel-gazing, insular, but see the people of God are in, in this wall. The people of God are here, and they're ready to love, willing to love those who are unlike them, willing to love the strangers who will come to their door, even illegally, willing to love them and show mercy to them, because we are people who will want strangers to God. We are people who will want not receiving love, and God has shown us that love. And so we're able to overflow that love in the lives of people around us. You know, Paul did face some difficulties, circumstances like many of us today. So we too are able to take this proclamation of hope and apply it to situations in life as well. I love this, this application that this one preacher applied in the sermon. You know, it, it hits home with many of us he told them to stay at home moms. He said they they they, they see they seem completely chaotic day by day. Chasing children around the house, running endless errands, doing all sorts of things that may seem like circumstances uh, that may seem like, you know, unlikely circumstances for ministry, but they are indeed ministry. And he says they consider their duties as that of love. But all the hard work of serving your family, friends, and neighbor, you endure hardship in the service of Christ by being concerned for your children's welfare and being concerned for those friends around you. You are doing the work of an evangelist as you share your love with Christ to them. By monitoring the hearts and the actions of people around you, you see when a word of your testimony, encouragement, and correction is given, so you remain watchful to opportunities to push back against the evil. 
by ministering in these ways to your family, your children, your neighbors. You fulfill the duty of proclaiming God's love in many circumstances of life that are seemingly against you. This is love, my friends. Many opportunities to proclaim our faith indeed exist. Many circumstances in life make this obvious for us. If we hold on to the truth that God's love is indeed greater than our circumstances, we have something to share with the watching world around us. Whether you are a mom at home or a mom who is working, whether you are a college student or you're somebody who has a career with myriads of opportunities to show that God's love is greater than indeed the bottom lines of your company. All these things, with all these things, God has promised to be with us. Idols are not a match for God's love. God's love is greater than them. God's love is greater than our circumstances. And lastly, God's love is greater than our enemies. You know, the town clerk came up and he was able to speak to the crowds. And he was able to put some common sense in them. But they had lost their senses for a moment. They were blind to the influence of the idolatry of their hearts and also the words of the Demetrius. In his review, he communicated the common knowledge that everybody knows in Ephesians who Artemis is. Everyone knows that, you know, Ephesus is the place where we, we keep the temple of Artemis. Everybody knows about the stone that fell out of the sky. Then he gives this proposition. Since no one denies this, be quiet and do nothing rash. He argues with them three points. Hey, these people haven't done anything. They haven't done, they haven't robbed your temples. Uh, neither have they committed blasphemy against artists. So Demetrius, if you have a grievance, take it up with the proconsuls. Even further, bring it to the larger assembly. If there's anything further you want to bring up, and he gave this appeal, we are in danger of being charged with rioting today because of these events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this motion since there is no reason for it. Then he dismisses them and they will by their way. So we see here in this appeal that even though, even though these people, they don't believe the proconsuls, the clerk of the city, they don't carry this belief of God in their hearts, but yet God is using his enemies to make the way straight for his people so that the harm would not come upon them by somebody like Demetrius who's causing trouble. But we begin to see that it's not the people of God who are in jeopardy or who are in danger. It really is the enemies of God who are in jeopardy and who are in danger. They're the ones who are in real danger. Not only of being locked up and thrown into jail and being charged, but also of experiencing eternal damnation to their souls. They're facing the God who's in a consuming fire. And they don't know it because they're blind. And so God would have it that he would dispatch his people, like he did in the book of Esther, dispatch his people to stand in the gap for them. Esther went up to the king, risked her 
life for her people. Because there was somebody, Haman, a Persian official, who wanted to do away with the Israelites, the Hebrew people. Mordecai, her cousin, he wanted to do away with them. But in risking her life, she was able to tell the king of the plans of the one who were moving against God's people. And the trap that Haman set for the people of God became the very trap that was judgment upon his own soul. So in the Garden of Eden, we face a great threat to our souls. Our first parents, they could not win that battle against the serpent who deceived them. And they disobeyed God, moving away from his commands, losing out on the glory with God, and becoming enemies to God. But God left them with a promise, and he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says to the serpent, between your offspring and hers. He would crush your head, and you would strike his heel. God did this very thing through the cross of Jesus Christ, his born and only son. God tells us in John 3.16, For I so love the world that I gave my one and only sons, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So that's what he's doing for his people throughout the book of Acts. He's dispatching his people because God is in the business of saving the lives of people all around the world. He wants people to know of this message of eternal life that he has secured in Jesus Christ, his son. God wants people all around the world to see the demonstration of his love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God wants to overturn, unturn, uproot the idols of the hearts of every woman, boy, and girl, and man on the planet Earth. God has a desire to save, and so he is going to send his people out to love. And we are those people. He's sending us out to love, to show the demonstration of love through things that we give, through things that we do. But you know what? God wants us to do business with our own hearts, right? You want us to look within to see where there is a chance of being entangled with idols. The things that are good are not fit for us. They are meant to be used for the purposes of God, yes. And our enjoyment, yes. But not to become ultimate things. These circumstances that come in our lives, they are not to be seen as something to quiver on them. There are some scary ones. But as opportunities to see how God would indeed show up and show his love to us. Our enemies who move against us, maybe in our workplaces, to our demise, they're there so that we can continue to learn how to love and love and love those who don't know that God is indeed the lover of their souls. You know, my friend decided to leave his third wife. He was clear that he knew it would hurt and that it would be a big decision to do so, and that he would face the consequences for the rest of his life. Whatever he is holding on to, I believe is bringing confusion about the number one person in his life that needs to be the number one person in his life, Jesus. So he's taking a risk to hold on to whatever that idol is of his heart, 
And you know what? In doing so, he's putting his soul in jail. He's putting his soul in a dark place. He's putting his soul in a place to use other people for his own profits. He's putting his soul in place to gather people around him to do what he wants them to do instead of serving others based on the love of God. And so this is the danger that faced us too, right? But rest assured that God has a hold on us. We don't have a hold on him. He's the one that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the one that said, nothing can separate you from my love. And that's the good news that's for us today, for our children who are here with us today, and for the generations to come. Thousands upon thousands of generations that God wants to show his eternal love to. Father, thank you so much for visiting upon our hearts in this moment. A moment where you open the scriptures. A moment where you have come and spoke to our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the freedom to live in a world, a broken world, where we don't feel all the time the pains of death, but we do feel them sometimes, and they are scary. But even so, we have conquered death on our behalf that we may have eternal life with you and enjoy your love forever. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stay together and sing unto the Lord. Amen.